Welcome back everyone to another episode of the Local Success Podcast, where the mission is to admire, get inspired, and take action. I'm your host, Ricardo Flores. I'm honored to be joined today by a man who's on a mission of his own, Dr. Luis Luacra, PhD in Leadership and Organization Change. He's a published author and a keynote speaker. Dr. Luacra has consulted for over 20 years for some of the biggest companies on how to create a perfect leadership system to keep employees happy in a consistently positive work environment. Dr. Luacra gets a true joy out of coaching individuals in leadership positions to become the best leaders they can be. Enjoy this wonderful message he shares with us today. Um, thank you, Dr. Luis, for being here today with me. I'm excited to have you and talk about COVID, post-work, COVID work environment and what you do, your mission, a little bit about your stuff. So thank you for being here. and We'll get right to it. Sure. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Of course. If we can start with a little bit of your background, where this mission started and, and a little bit of where you are now. Um, you know, I think this, this mission of mine started years ago. Um, not to age myself, but at least 25 years ago, I used to work for a very large food company who was headquartered in Glendale, California. And I just got to know how large organizations operate and, um, you know, just really learned a lot. I had an MBA at the time, and I think I got another MBA by working for this company, Nestle. Mm. Um, and, and I just learned a lot about how we humans behave inside of an organization. Why do we follow that leader? And at the time, uh, Nestle, the CEO for the United States, was an amazing, amazing man, amazing leader. I never met him, but I saw enough of him. I heard enough of him. I saw what he did to Nestle USA at the time, and I was just impressed. And I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. How did he do that? And here we are today. Mm. Would you say you have always been curious like that as a little boy, too? Well, tell us a little bit about your upbringing and what even drove you to have an interest? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Yeah, even as a little boy, you know, I was a workaholic. You know, <laughs> back in the day um, when there was newspapers, uh, I had a newspaper route. Uh, actually, I had four newspaper routes. Um, I don't know if that was the entrepreneur in me, but uh, I truly had four paper routes. And wow. Um, as I would deliver these papers to these different houses in my neighborhood and even outside of my neighborhood, I would always think, who lives at that house? You know, who lives at that other house? You know, what do they do for a living? Uh, so I've just been curious about what people do for a living and how they do it for a living. And as I grew up, went to high school, went to college, ended up at Nestle, I just was always curious about what motivates humans to do what humans do and then when you apply that to an organization what motivates a human to follow the leader and, and vice versa how does a leader get people to follow them so you know yeah. again um mba working at nestle started to do consulting for a lot of different companies and I was very successful at it. Um, I just thought, you know, one day I'm, I'm going to really figure this out and go get a PhD and try to understand the, the the motivation and the psychology behind human behavior inside of an organization. So, yeah, I've always been naturally curious. Uh, 
Isn't it amazing to look back to when we were kids and see the qualities that we had then? And, and it, it kind of makes sense to where we are now. And we go, oh, then, you know, that's where kind of that came from. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, as frustrating as uh, working on my PhD was, um, there was this internal thing that I I was just curious about. And, I, you know, for anybody who's ever worked on a PhD, you want to give up, like, two, three times. Well, I wanted to give up seven times. Uh, but there was something inside of me that was just curious. I'm curious, how do humans and why do humans behave the way that they do inside of an organization? And, you know, in the world today, it's all about leadership, this leadership that, well, what is the true definition of leadership? I mean, what are there, like a 10 billion books out there on leadership, right? So, I just wanted to understand my piece of the pie. And, and again, just being naturally curious about everything. I still, I'm curious about a lot of stuff. As often as I fly in an airplane, I'm still curious as to how it stays up in the air, right? So uh, elevators, I'm still curious about that, even though it's it's pretty simple, right? It's a mm-hmm. cable based on weight, but I'm just fascinated by that. So uh, when it comes to organization change, organization leadership, I'm just fascinated by so many different styles of leadership, so many different styles of followership, right? And so many different humans wanting so many different things from leadership inside of an organization. So, yeah, that's the natural curiosity that I have. I love it. So just to give a little background to the listeners, we connected over the internet, which a lot of relationships that have been formed nowadays, specifically on this on this topic, on this area of, of leadership and companies. So to me, to hear your mission and, and aligns with kind of how I see it and the importance of being a good leader. So tell us a little bit of, of the finding that you've, through all this curiosity and years of studying, what are some of the key qualities you would say that make a leader and how can someone in charge of an organization and a team accomplish that to be the leader that they're supposed to be? You know, I would say, um, and again, there's 10 billion books on how to be a leader. You know, mm-hmm. everybody knows how to be a leader, but, you know. So in, in my little world, in my brain, I've identified a leader by two ways. Uh, number one, I believe a leader should have just a little bit of understanding of human psychology. Not a whole lot, just just a little. And when I say just a little bit of human psychology, that relates to just understanding and respecting that before that employee is your employee, that employee is actually a human first. Mm-hmm. And humans, all of us, we have specific wants and needs and desires, right? And because we spend so many hours at work, uh, I just believe that it would be important for leadership to understand some psychology so all those hours spent at work uh, can be um, supported by just a little bit of understanding of what that employee is really looking for. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, I know this may sound crazy, but it the truth is employees are not looking for a raise. They're not looking for money. But that seems to be what leadership believes is the solution. Well, I'll just throw another dollar, dollar fifty, mm-hmm. three dollars. I'll give you a raise. I'll give you a title. 
That's not what the human is looking for. Um, but again, understanding just a little bit of psychology would help uh, leadership and that relationship with the employee uh, just a little better. And then the second thing that I have found, uh, not only through my research, but actually working with over a hundred different companies, 7,000 different employees, a couple hundred CEOs, it's important for leadership to hear and listen. You know, I always tell executives, there's a reason why you have two ears. One of them is for hearing and one of them is for listening, right? So um, we can hear all of the employees talking, but what are we going to do about that? That's where we need to listen to what the employees are saying. You know, and the, and the big buzz today is, you know, why would an employee want to come back post-COVID into the office when there's really no leadership there? But the assumption to the leader is, well, I hear my employees, you know, I listen to my employees, but are you really listening to what they need? Again, the fallacy is uh, employees want a raise or a title or a nice office. That is not necessarily true. Uh, employees, again, who are humans first, would rather have those human needs and wants and desires um, facilitated for them at work. Uh, so for me, those are the two things that I think make a good leader. Uh, and I know a few of them. Um, uh, and, you know, I follow certain companies and, of course, my own clients. Uh, there's some great leaders out there who are natural at it. And there's some great leaders who do need some coaching. Um, uh, the, you know, you do need some coaching. You just do. Um, so, you know, for me, those are the two things that that in my mind, define a great leader, right? So, Awesome. Thank you for that. So a couple of questions on that. It seems so obvious that what you mentioned, the, 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 at least the basis knowledge of human psychology in a leader. To me, as someone has, that was interested at one point in psychology, I'm a communication major, marketing, became a life coach on the aspect of coaching. I agree. Um, there's a coaching for everything for a reason nowadays because Top athletes have it. Top CEOs have it. Why shouldn't why shouldn't normal have a CEO, specifically a leader? But my question is, why do you think there hasn't been an emphasis of more companies coaching their CEOs, coaching their leaders in this area of human psychology when it seems like it would be so beneficial for both parties? Uh, you know, uh, another great question, and I actually did um, my research on some of this as well. So just, just to give you a little background on the, on my PhD. So my PhD looked at um, organization factors that influence uh, employee motivation and it's inspiration. Right. So as an employee, why would I be motivated to follow you? Right. What inspires me about you to follow you? And um, there are a lot of factors in the organization and even there are a lot of personal factors as a human. So um you know, uh, I, I think a leader doesn't need to understand all of psychology, psychology, but just the basics. And the basic is, you know, my vice president is not a vice president. He's a human, right? My director of accounting is not a director of account. He's a human, right? Uh, my line level worker is not a line level worker. He's a human first. I mean, that's really what I was thinking in terms of understanding psychology, basic psychology. And why is that not a big deal in 
organization management, organization leadership? I, I think for two reasons. Number one, I don't think there's enough of us, us organization psychologists, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Officially and legally, I'm not a psychologist, but uh, there isn't enough of us talking to leadership about this topic. Not a lot of people thought about it. I just happened to think about it and I ran with it. And then secondly, um, most organizations, and this is going to sound a little odd, but it is the truth. Most organizations are led by a man. Okay. And men naturally have a tremendous ego. Right. <laughs> There's no way in the world that a man is going to wake up and say, hmm, my business is not doing well. I need a psychologist. Mm. It's just not going to happen. Right. Um, it, it, that's that's what I've seen uh, again. Well over I don't know, hundred companies, hundred executives, and their leadership team. And, and by the way, I am a man, so I do understand that that psychology. Right? We as men, there are certain things we just will not do, and one of the things we will not do is admit that we need help. Right? Mm. So. If I'm running a $5 million business, if I'm running a $100 million business or a billion dollar business and something's not right, there's no way in the world that I'm going to instantly think I need a psychologist for my business. Uh, usually it's, oh my God, let me fire this guy and get the other guy. That's how it works. So in answer to your questions, there's just not enough of us. There's not enough of me to go out and talk to the business owners. And when I do talk to these male business owners, uh, you know, they're a little, uh, they're a little offended. So um, it, it is, uh, it is my task to be subtle about it, but also poignant, right. Uh, you know, push the button, but do it in a passive manner. Cause again, you know, my background is behavior, so I understand that uh, there's just certain things you can and you cannot talk about um, in certain circles uh, because, A, it's not that popular, and, B, it's probably a man who's making the decision. So, um, and, and, again, I've seen this often, very often. Yeah, what a great point. I think as being on the outside, we don't think too much of that, of what's going on behind companies and the way they're being ran but you can tell there's not enough thought put into that because i think it would change a lot of dynamic and to understand that i mean that some of the top corporations is because they take care of their employees so it's not hard to notice that so yeah yeah it, it, it is interesting to see uh again i've been doing this for 23 years and uh it's so interesting when i do meet a new client um i hear the same thing you know, uh, well, my company can't change. Well, you can't get that employee to, to change, or this is how we've always done it at this company. And, uh, you know, that to me, uh, is exciting. I find that a, a, a fantastic challenge because I've, whenever I hear that, I, I think to myself, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to tweak some things. I'm going to change some things and show everyone that there is an opportunity for a change. Not a dramatic change, a subtle change that starts a snowball effect into more change. And it's it's really exciting for me to 
contact my previous clients two, three, five years later, and they're doing great. You know, hey, thank you for being here when you were, Lewis, et cetera, et cetera. But even for me, it's great to um, meet those clients who, no, we can't do that. We're, we're not going to change. Well, okay, here's where the psychology comes into play, right? So, um, uh, you know, it's great for me to see employees get promoted after I've worked with the client. It's great for me to see employees start their own businesses, right? Uh, uh, you know, because again, uh, just understanding basic psychology and what humans are truly looking for, um, uh, it really just allows the human, the employee, to almost outperform themselves, right? Or outperform what the company expected of them. And, and I know that sounds a little odd, but it does happen. It's, it's, it is possible that that does ha- that it could happen in any yeah. organization. I believe it. I mean, changing like in anything, it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't, it's not always drastic, like you said, but a small change, a 1% change in a company can be huge. So I can oh, yeah. totally see how that can be. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm curious about your process. When you go to these companies and you start your work, do you do a little bit of bo- work with both the employer and the employee? Is it mostly the employer? And what's kind of the reception you get from, from people there when you're there and, and how does change from the beginning to end uh well i I will tell you um i truly pick my clients Um, Mm. i'll go and interview three clients maybe a month and i may not pick them Mm. Um, i've actually terminated my own clients um and that's a beautiful spot to be in business wise to be able to oh I, i i i don't enjoy doing it um, right. my, my bank account doesn't like that when I do that. Um, but it's again, true to your values and yeah. And if anything, I, I need a referral. I need, mm. I need good references, right? So if I go into a client meeting and the owner, I can just tell is not going to play, then I'm at risk. So, uh, I have to walk away. Um, earlier this year, in 2023, I, I landed a very big project, very, very big project. And I let it go after five weeks because, again, I need references, right? Uh, that's how I do my marketing, right? So this client was not go. I can tell this client was just not willing to shift or tweak. And I just knew that it this wasn't a good opportunity for me, Um I feel bad for the 300 employees that were left behind as I see it. But my process is understanding first what the client is looking for. And I usually am talking to the business owner or the CEO or the board of directors. If I don't feel warm and fuzzy out of that meeting, then we don't move into the next step. If I do feel warm and fuzzy, then the next step uh, is interviewing the employees and i do have a system by which i can interview employees hundreds confidentially uh very effective questions in the interview they're not your your typical go to google and get some interview questions i created these questions over 23 years of understanding uh what an organization needs and what a employee needs what a human needs right um it's 17 questions and again confidential and i'm able to glean from there 
so much more than just an answer to a survey question. Uh, again, uh, the psychology that I understand uh, about behavior um, allows me to glean information from from those surveys. And again, confidential. Um, uh, there are things that we slowly start to do. When I say we, I mean myself and the employees, not the client, not the CEO. I, I really don't need that person in my way because more often than not, that's part of the problem. So we start making some edits, some tweaks to the organization from a process perspective. And those suggestions are made by the employees via that uh, that uh, interview, that questionnaire. So when the human actually sees that there is some traction, there's movement, oh my gosh, that's my idea. And we're actually plugging it in, right? Um, that's where you start to develop uh, that inspiration and that motivation to make a change, right? Uh, and as the client, the owner would see these little tweaks and the business starts to perform better, um, that to me is a very successful project, but that's my process. That's my system, you know, and, uh, it really is focusing in on the human, on the employees. Cause at the end of the day, the CEO of a company is not, he's not the owner of the business. It's the employees who are the owner of the business, right? They own the process. They own the speed at which they do their work right um they know it best they know that one little process better than the ceo right so um the way i go into businesses paying attention to the employees as humans and making those little tweaks as we go along and at the end of the project um the business it may have turned 180 it may have turned 40 degrees maybe it turned five degrees but that was enough to continue um editing and tweaking the process. And in the end, as long as the employees are happy, your business can do all kinds of things. It just can't. If only everyone had the same mentality, right? <laughs> it would like make business so much easier. Yeah. And, and you know, what's interesting is in, in, in my 23 years, um, I, I usually get the call or again, it's a timing thing, how much marketing I'm doing versus who I meet. But, I usually get the call when the business owner is struggling with profitability, mm -hmm. when the business owner is struggling with um, the, the overall performance of the organization, the, the business, whether it's it's producing its product on time, whether it's it's uh, losing customers or gaining customers. I usually get the call when when something goes wrong, right? So um, again, as we talked about earlier. When uh, most business owners are not going to call me, they're not going to look for me when things are going well. I totally get that. Uh, every now and then, somebody does call and say, hey, my company's doing so well, I want to make sure it keeps doing well. Okay, that's perfect. More often than not, I get phone calls. Oh, my gosh, I think I'm bankrupt, uh, right? Can you help me? Sure, yeah. Uh, and that's, that's a, a, another part of... Uh, organization management that's that's really simple. It's understanding the accounting side of business. But when you look at uh, overall performance, future value of the business, it's all related to the employees and how they see you as a leader, right? So um, 
when I engage a client, I allow all of those things to be satisfied. When I leave, everybody happy. So, uh, uh, yeah, that's that's my process, my goal. Great. So you touched on, you said the word success, and you reminded me the the podcast, the mission. You know, to I'm curious about you. You PhD, 23 years of consulting, work for a big company. You've done it all. What keeps driving you? And how do you view success now? And how did it change from maybe when you were in Nessa and now you're you're doing this and you have a mission that we'll talk about in a little bit? But what is success to you? And how do you measure that? Maybe you you're you're there or you're still not there. How do you view it? Um, I think I think I'm there. Um, I think I'm there because I I have uh, enough. I've seen enough um, success with my my clients and and success to me um, for a client is minimal employee turnover after I've been there. And then um, the organization itself is doing much better financially. Um, And then the organization can actually innovate and and produce better products, better services. Uh, I've seen that. Uh, and I learned some of that when I worked at, at Nestle, but uh, I've been in companies where they can't keep an employee because the employees are unhappy and they quit. And then they hire this other guy and he's only there a week and then he quits, you know, and the leadership doesn't understand, gosh, how come I'm losing employees? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing, you know, gosh, I, I, you know, my company's bankrupt. How come I can't make a profit? Uh, a lot of that, uh, to me, I, I count that successful when all of that changes, you know, uh, you know, all my employees are the same employees after 20 years, you know, uh, my profitability is really good. It's in the double digits year over year. And I've actually changed companies like that. Um, I, I remember one company in Houston, Texas, uh, about 10 years ago, uh, no, maybe about eight years ago. Uh, employees were going down the street for a new job because there was 50 cents more, right? We made some behavior changes, not only with the client himself, but with the employees. And here we are 10 years later, uh, they haven't lost an employee due to somebody just quitting. Yeah, people retire, but um, the employees are all the same. I can walk into that business today and name every one of the employees that were there when I was there. Um not only are the employees staying there, but the performance of the business is more consistent. Therefore, the profitability is more consistent. And then you have a happier owner who is, by extension, a happier leader. So it just it goes full circle, right? So that to me is success. I've seen a lot of companies do that. And I've seen a lot of companies get organized enough that they can sell themselves to a private equity firm or the dad can retire or dad leaves the business to his son. Uh, that to me is success where the business continues to perform better than what it was performing. Right. Mm. Um, you know, when we talk about the psychology of human behavior, uh, some entrepreneurs, uh, not only are they brave because they're entrepreneurs, but some entrepreneurs fall into some serious depression because mm. their business is failing. So it's not like this is an easy thing for an entrepreneur to do is to find somebody like me for help, right? Uh, owning a business is stressful. I've owned a couple of them myself and they are stressful. 
uh, they can get depressing at some point. Um, um, so being able to see these businesses continue to grow and get better and sell themselves and multiply and that to me is success. Because uh, again, when when I meet some of these people, they they're pretty stressed out. Uh, mm. the, the owner's stressed out, the employees are stressed out, et cetera, et cetera. So, and I'm inspired to keep doing this because I love these stories. I, I, I have friends of mine now that were once clients. Uh, I have former employees of mine who, um, I, I, I'll tell you a funny story, a great story. I, I, I went to lunch with a former employee of mine, uh, two years ago. Well, he happened to invite his current boss of his new employer. And we were at lunch and his boss says, you know, Lewis, uh, tell me about yourself. So I started talking about myself and my former employee said to his boss, you know, sir, everything I've done at your company to make it better, I took from Lewis. And I, wow. I said to my former employee, I said, wait a second, you've never said that to me. He and I have become friends ever since. Uh, but he goes, yeah, he goes, there are three things I took from you that I saw you do. And I use them over here at this company. And I, you know, deep down inside, I thought, gosh, that is so nice to hear. You know, yeah. that's, that's why I'm inspired to do this. Um, uh, uh, another quick story. Um, that sounds like the ultimate compliment, by the way. The, yeah. Yeah. I, I actually did not think that, you know, um, he was paying attention, but he was, and and that's the other secret to leadership. You know, uh, employees are watching you as a leader. You are being watched, right? Because uh, again, from a baser behavior level, the human wants to make sure that the company is going to be there tomorrow, and the next week, and the next month, and next year. Because the human, they've got a family too. So, as an owner, as a CEO, as an executive you are being watched and the things you say and do are being taken into consideration by your employees. Right. So, uh, it's, it's you, very, you were going to share a story. I interrupted you. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> another story, um, uh, one day, uh, probably about 12 years ago, Christmas Eve, I get a phone call. I get a phone call on Christmas Eve from one of my clients and he says to me, Lewis, I'm sitting here with my family on Christmas Eve, and I thought to call you and say thank you for saving my business. Otherwise, I wouldn't be sitting here with my family. Wow. You know, and I hung up the phone and I thought to myself, we invoiced that client so much money, but that phone call um, uh, outdid the amount of money we sent for an invoice. That phone call to me was huge, absolutely huge. And, and that phone call goes to what I was saying earlier. Some of these entrepreneurs are stressed out um, and and it's important for them to survive so their employees can survive. So for me, that's, that's what motivates me uh, to be successful. And that's what inspires me to the next client and the next client. Right. So. That's a beautiful story. Thanks for sharing that. That's got to be, I, I take it back. That's the highest <laughs> yeah. way of compliment. But I get why you say that. Yeah. So th there's a lot to unpack there, but I'm curious about something. Being on the other side as an employee and having multiple work, multiple jobs, being part of a generation where I feel like 
as you were saying, there's so much turnover. You know, I'm in my 30s and I feel like a lot of my peers are the same way where we're not looking long term. You know, we're, we're, we're very aware that because of the lack of, of knowledge in the, in the subject that you teach, there are those companies that you kind of go in and say, okay, I'm just going to collect the paycheck for a couple of years, get the insurance, you know, and, and it's going to be a stepping stone into something else. I've been a victim of that myself. You know, I ain't taking an entrepreneurship route now, but there were times in my life where I took the job thinking, I, I definitely don't see myself here for five years, but I'm going to do it just for now. And I think, um, that's changed a little bit over the last few years in this last generation where people are realizing a company can let us go in a day. Why would we be loyal for 20 years? So how do we get that mentality to also fall into, into us, the uh, employees and understand that it is beneficial for both parties to stay longer and to build a good relationship? You know, that, that, that's a loaded question, you know, cause there's, there's a lot of different responses that could come from that, right? I think some of that is the responsibility of leadership to make it attractive to stay longer. Uh, but at the same time, uh, the younger generation, and there's always going to be a younger generation, right? Um, th- there are some good things to look forward to in this younger generation, right? Um, but, as the world turns, a change is inevitable, right? So every generation that comes behind us will experience a different environment, whether it's work or political or global. Um, but I think it's for both of those groups, the, the generation, the younger generation and the leadership to understand that there is an opportunity to make a career out of this job or that. Uh, but I think what's happening today is there's so much opportunity out there, or at least the idea of opportunity. You know, the old saying, the grass is greener on the other side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everybody believes that. Everybody does. That's why we have entrepreneurs. That's why we have people who hop from job to job. Um, uh can we capture some of those employees and make them stay? Yeah, you can. I, I believe as a great leader, you have the ability to attract and retain, right? And there are organization factors that allow you to retain. But you can't you can't manage human behavior enough to keep the generation from career hopping because they they believe the grass is greener on the other side you know working at amazon is probably better than working at google and vice versa uh, mm-hmm. working at microsoft is better than amazon okay fine you know working for you know if i'm a welder and i'm working for rob and he's paying me 37 dollars an hour to weld but Jim down the street is going to pay me $37.75 to weld to do the same job. I'm going to go work for Jim. Because again, from a baser behavior, humans, wait a second, that's 75 cents more an hour. I, I got to go do that because what's more important to me? My family. I got to protect my family. I got to feed my family. Um, would those two scenarios um, allow for that welder to stay at one place? Yeah, it's all about those um not the benefits but but the the underlying advantages by staying where you are 
is the organization structured? Do I have a clear path for promotion? Uh, does, does, does leadership listen to me? Does leadership hear me when I talk? Do they take my suggestions? Am I happy here? So those are the things that even the, the guy who owns a, a job shop in Louisiana, he needs to take into consideration just like Amazon does, right? Mm. The only disadvantage that Amazon and Google would have is everybody wants to work there at least a year because it looks good on your resume. I mean, we did that at Nestle. You know, um, the rumor at Nestle was, "Hey, just get Nestle on your resume for ten or fifteen months, and you're good to go." Because mm. um, again, baser behavior is going to make you do that. But the trick is to get leadership to hang on to that. There's a lot of different things leadership can do to their own organization to keep those employees uh, happy. I mean, at the end of the day, you got to keep the employees happy. And again, as I said very early on, leadership believes that, uh, well, I'll just I'll just give this guy a dollar fifty raise and he'll stay here. That's not the answer. That's not what the human is looking for. It's just not. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's. Being on the other side, like I said, you're hitting on the on the things we, w- we would like to hear as as, as employee um, employees. So let's go back to uh, the mission now, which is you know we we connected over a message that you're trying to convey and specifically talk about is post COVID work environment. So let's touch a little bit on that. How, where do you see companies going, and where do you see the the pros and cons from from going back to the office, from staying home, and how do we navigate this as 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 leaders? Well, you know, I, I hopefully um, I've conveyed uh, what I believe are basic leadership skills. Uh, you know, minus COVID, I, I believe that there are basic leadership skills that every leader should consider, whether you're the $5 million job shop in Louisiana or whether you're Amazon. Um, so now the question becomes, some of the employees don't want to work here anymore because uh, – COVID or it's disorganized or I don't like it there or it's not fun there anymore. You know, if it's one thing that humans have been able to realize during COVID is, Hey, wait a second. I'd like working from home. You know, I can do the same amount of work from home, take care of my kids. I'm at home. I'm in my pajamas. I can do whatever I want. Wait a second. Now you want me to go to the office? No pajamas. I'm not in my home office. I don't know what my kids are up to. Oh, Gotta get in the car. <laughs> right. Traffic. Oh, and now you want me to sit in that office that I really didn't like sitting at before. Right. You know, has the leadership changed? You know, my boss, Dave, is he the same guy that he was pre COVID? Why would I want to go back? Right. So um, I think right now, a lot of economies are being affected by, uh, you know, having to go hire new employees or having to replace employees because some people don't want to go back. And I think for for leadership to get those people back, leadership really needs to take a closer look at itself, right? Mm-hmm. And realize, hey, man, I wasn't a good leader before COVID, so that's why my employees might not be coming back now. Right. Because because, again, uh, COVID has changed so many things for the bad and the good. So many people were lost because of COVID. But 
so many different industries are now growing because of COVID. Uh, so we really got to take into consideration that the employee of today, depending on their age, really might actually have an option, right? So as a leader, you really got to think about how do I overcome those options? How do I get my employee back in the office? And most importantly, once they're back in the office, how do I get them to perform at a higher level? You know, something leadership should have done pre-COVID. But but again, there's not enough people like me talking about this, right? Mm. Um, uh, I think it's important for leadership to understand that, yeah, post-COVID, it's time to get back to work. Let's go. In the United States, the unemployment rate has been the lowest it's been in decades. The economy is moving forward. Inflation is being stabilized, et cetera, et cetera. Let's get back to work, but not the way we used to, not in that leadership style that we had before, right? Uh, again, yeah. I really believe that some of the struggles that some businesses see in getting the employee back is based on their original leadership style. Again, I've been sitting at home in my pajamas for the last two years. I'm making the same amount of money. Why would I ever go back to that office? You know, traffic. Mm -hmm. My boss is not that friendly. He's not that nice. There's no vision for the company. There's no growth in the company. I'm going to find me a job that allows me to work from home. So how would you rate a company that needs to do that? Because I am aware company there's, we talked about Google. They required almost everyone to go back in almost any city. You know, we want you in the office, these such studies. There's a big companies like Deckers and other companies that I know of that are not returning. So it, is it just a situational basis where the company goes, okay, the numbers are fine. So why even bother? Or, or is it more about bringing back that culture because we have to? I, I, I think, uh, and that's a good point. I think it's more situational. Uh, mm. You know, I was listening to uh, an NPR story a couple of weeks ago about um, the chief people officer, right? That's a new title that was created before COVID um, to respond to the zeitgeist of the time, right? We need, we need mm. more inclusion. We need more people-friendly organizations. So a lot of companies started to hire for a chief people officer, I don't know, seven to 10 years ago. If you look around now, those chief people officers don't exist anymore. So corporations were responding to a situation. I think what's happening now, corporations are still responding to this, this wave of people not wanting to go back to work. But I don't think corporations are noticing what the underlying issue is, right? If you turn on the news, people don't want to go back to the office for whatever reason, they're lazy, they're bums, wh whatever the case may be. But at the end of the day, when you get down into the weeds, people are not wanting to go to their office, back to their office, because it's not a good place to be emotionally, mm. mentally. Again, no growth. There's no vision, right? But the corporate leadership is thinking, come on, man, you need a job. Get back in here. Mm. Right? Again, as I said earlier, when you have a company on your resume like Google or Amazon or, or Nestle, you know, back in my generation, your head gets a little big thinking, well, I can go to 
go get a job anywhere. I used to work for Nestle. You know, I have Google on my resume. I can go anywhere. So when Google and Amazon are forcing people back to work, those employees are thinking, you're, you're not listening to what I need. I'm going to go work somewhere else. And ironically, um, some of those people, because uh, again, we're all humans. We have this basic psychology. Some of those people who leave go and start their own companies. That's how small business in the United States starts. Uh, I wrote a book about this, I think, 20 years ago. Let's talk about it. Let's talk a little bit about your book, how to get it, and, and, and what's it about. Tell us, please. So there's two different books. Um, the latest book that I wrote, it's on Amazon. Um, it's called Do Employees Really Like Working Here? It's about and I'll post, a, I'll post a link on the bio, everyone, so yeah. we can find it there. It's about leadership, process, and employee motivation. So that book is the culmination of some of my PhD research, and I have to say that some of it, not all of it, um, but some of it is related to my PhD research, and most of it is related to the clients that I've worked with in the past. Um, different types of leadership, different types of processes that we tweaked, um, different type of companies, industries, number of employees. I think it's a great book. Uh, I made the book into a workbook. So entrepreneurs can buy this book, read it all about it. And in the back of it, there are some things that you can use, you know, kind of like when we were in seventh grade, you can write in this book. There's things you can use to help you in your business. Um, um, but I think it's, it's for me, it was a great uh, thing to produce because, uh, again, it's a workbook. People can actually work it, um, you know, just like we did when we were kids. I, again, I'm really old. Uh, <laughs> my first book, uh, about 20 years ago, I think, it talked about how many entrepreneurs are on the world and, and what these entrepreneurs do and where they come from. And, and more often, as I, as I pointed out a, a minute ago, entrepreneurs come from uh, our natural desire to go do something for ourselves. And then when we have issues at work, then we just quit and we go start our own business. Um, uh, if you look at all of the big companies out there, um, those guys were entrepreneurs, Jeff Bezos, Michael Dell, uh, you know, some of my clients that are 5 million, 10 million. Uh, I have a potential client I'm talking to in Houston, Texas, where uh, this is an executive from a very large chemical company. He retired and started his own company and he's doing much better in his own company than he was as an executive for this global brand. So, mm. um, you know, and, and it's the school teacher who starts tinkering with something in the garage and makes a business out of it. Right. So, uh, I think both of the books are very good for, um, people just trying to understand their own business. Right. Uh, and just, just a little bit, uh, particularly for my PhD-based book, uh, just a little bit of psychology, trying to understand how to motivate and inspire those humans. Because again, post-COVID, yeah, listen, uh, nobody wants to go to, back to work. And if your organization is not fun, not a good place to be, no vision, no goals, you're not going to get that employee back. You'll get a new hire, right? Everybody wants a job. So you'll get a new hire like that. But the mm. former, the, the previous employee, you're not going to get that person back unless the business is attractive to them. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for all that information. I, I'm really happy we got to talk about something really important that's happening and 
And I know your mission now is to, you know, to share the message in, in places. So you are available for booking, correct, through your website? Yes. Um, so uh, everything is through my website. It's right back here. Um, one of the things that I enjoy doing is talking to different groups, um, whether right in the conference room to executives or even a room of 100, 150 different uh, executives, leaders. Um, and, and the moments that we had here are just a snippet of, you know, everything that I've seen out there, everything that I've researched. You know, we, we talked earlier about my curiosity. I am constantly researching and moving forward with behavior inside of organizations. I'm currently finishing up a document that's being published. Um, and I'm actually working on some research that's furthering my current research. So, uh, and again, uh, one of the things I enjoy doing is when I meet clients, you know, I'll, I'll take little, little breadcrumbs of information that I get to share with uh, other clients and groups that I talk to. So. I'm just fun. curious, is anything besides researching that you do? How do you relax on your own time? <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's funny. Um, uh, when it's time to sleep, I sleep. Like, okay. you know, especially living in California, I can sleep through an earthquake. Uh, but <laughs> when I'm standing up and it's ready to go, it, I just, I'm just fascinated, uh, with just humans in general. You know, when I go to the airport to catch a flight, I'll go early on purpose. Just so I can watch the people. <laughs> I call it the human aquarium, right? Oh, that's, yeah, that's good. But that stuff is what I do to entertain myself, to relax, believe it or not. Um, but yeah, I just really love what I do. And I just, you know, I'm just going to keep doing it because it's fun. So. I love it. Well, I appreciate your time. I know that you have a, a, a pretty important message to spread and I hope you continue to do so. I'm happy that you came on and anyone interested, uh, just the name of the website. So we can check it's, it out. It's, it's actually my name, Louis Luarca, PhD.com. Uh, Easy enough. Click on that. Yeah. And there's a lot of stuff in there that you can link to uh, my books on there through Amazon. You can book me for speaking engagements. You can book 15 minutes of my time. We'll do a Zoom call. We can chit chat. Um, so, yeah, everything's on that website, Louis Luarca, PhD.com. Awesome. And I'll link everything up as well. Make sure you, you, you keep up with what he's doing and, and thank you once again. I'm excited to keep connecting and, and, and keep hearing what you, what you have to, the message you have to share. Sure. Thank you. I appreciate your time. Thanks. Thank you. Of course. I'll talk to you later. Thank you all for listening. I hope you received as much value as I did from this conversation. And if you enjoyed Dr. Luakra's message, contact his website for any book and information. If you're loving this podcast, please hit it with a five-star rating. And I hope you come back next time. 